thank you again for the warm welcome back. I am so excited to be back at St. John's after a really wonderful um, sabbatical. It's so awesome to be back here. This morning, someone said to me, I was wondering if you were going to get a haircut. <laughs> I just want you to know, I actually did get a haircut this week. So <laughs> my barber, Andreas, who's a member, is sitting here today. He can attest. I did get a haircut before today. Anyway, I just want to say thank you all for making uh, the sabbatical possible. It was just what I needed. It was perfect. Uh, and I'm so grateful to the congregation, to the vestry, and to the staff, and, uh, and especially to Reverend Heather for her leadership uh, during that time and making it all possible. So uh, thank you. And it's, it's, uh, I'm just really grateful. And uh, it meant a lot to me that I would come back from sabbatical today on Pentecost because today is my 20th anniversary as rector here uh, at St. John's. And the word, thank you, thank you. Uh, I feel so blessed and I, I, uh, the word that keeps coming to mind is grateful. I'm just so grateful for the sabbatical and I feel like I'm back in my community and I'm so excited uh, about that. And it feels appropriate that, you know, we celebrate the Eucharist every Sunday. The word Eucharist means Thanksgiving. We call the Eucharistic prayer the Great Thanksgiving. And I'm thankful and I'm grateful and it feels so right. And I, I just, so, just want to say thank you. I'm so stoked to be back. I'm very excited. And, uh, and I got a lot out of the sabbatical and I think it'll be good for me and for this whole congregation. Um, going forward. The first rector I ever worked for as a deacon and then a young priest uh, said to me, you can tell the health of a congregation by how well it takes care of the clergy, which I thought was interesting. Uh, this is a really healthy congregation. You, <laughs> you take care of us, and that means so much. It really, really does. Uh, and, of course, I've been reflecting on 20 years as rector here, and, um, I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes, uh, especially in the early years. Um, you know, I cringe at some of the stuff I did. Uh, so I also think, like, you know, however I've evolved as a, a rector is in large part thanks to you all. You've helped raise a rector. So, um, I, you know, from never, ever showing up at 35, never having led a congregation... Uh, so whatever good I'm doing, I owe a lot of that to you, and I'm really um, grateful. Yesterday, my wife Amy and I were sitting in our courtyard just reflecting on 20 years in this wonderful community. I mean, when we showed up, our, our son was three and our daughter was five. On Friday, we helped our son move into an apartment in San Francisco where our daughter lives nearby with her boyfriend. Like, a lot has changed. Um, but St. John's has been so fundamental to who our family is and our children uh, growing up here. So I'm reflecting back on uh, my time here and thinking towards the future. Uh, I looked up my first sermon I ever preached at St. John's on my first Sunday on Pentecost, 2003. And when I got to St. John's, uh, the Belt, the entire bell tower was scaffolded. So we've now fixed it twice since I've been here. 
the whole bell tower was scaffolded, and there was an event that took up the entire lawn and parish hall. And uh, I joked, what in God's name is going on at St. John's? <laughs> but of course, it was a deeper question, right? What in God's name is going on at St. John's? What are we doing in God's name at St. John's? And that is the question that I am continually asking. What are we doing in God's name at St. John's? Are there things we're doing that really aren't in God's name and we need to stop doing them or change them so they're more in God's name? What in God's name is going on at St. John's? A really important mentor to me said before I started as rector, he said, remember that when you go to St. John's as rector, you are joining in God's ministry in that place. You are not bringing God's ministry to St. John's. God's ministry is already happening there, and your job is to join in it. Things have been going on in God's name at St. John's since 1908, when it was incorporated as St. John's Episcopal Church. And really before that, back to like 1886, when it was the San Anselmo Chapel on the corner out there. In 1910, our cornerstone was laid, a house of prayer for all people. When I reflect on the 20 years I've been here, there's been a lot of construction. <laughs> I showed up to the bell tower scaffolded. Since then, we, we built the entire office education building, whole new landscaping, renovated the parish hall, and did this massive, beautiful chancel renovation. In the 50s, the length of the church was doubled, so this was like the second major renovation of the worship space. Now, to me, all that construction was about building disciples, right? We weren't just building buildings to have nice buildings. We were doing all this construction to foster what we do in God's name here at St. John's and to honor our heritage and to carry it forward. The first thing I did when I got here this morning was go out to the memorial garden. If you've never been back there, it's kind of behind the office education building. Uh, it's one of the most peaceful places in Ross. And I just stood there and I read all the names on the plaques that have been put up in the 20 years since I've been here. Now, of course, a lot of people have died that aren't buried there, but it was a moment for me to just reflect on the people that are really our, cloud, our, our communion of saints at St. John's, our cloud of witnesses. Some of you have loved ones buried back there. And in our faith, we carry them with us so as we look to the future, we also carry our past with us and think of all those beloved people who have passed in the history of this congregation and how they have furthered what we do in God's name and how can we honor that and carry it forward. Part of what we do in God's name at St. John's is to be a place that hydrates the soul of everyone who comes here regardless of who they are. 
because that's the charge that was carved into our cornerstone. A house of prayer for all people. And I think we're continually living in to what all people means and how do we do that. And through the continual growth of our outreach and our service and our work for justice, embracing a house of prayer for all people, not just to those who physically come into our space, but all people in our community that we interact with and whose lives that we can touch. I love that my first Sunday here and the day I celebrate as my anniversary is the Feast of Pentecost, which is often called the birthday of the church, the sending of the Spirit. Because Pentecost focuses on the ministry and calling of the whole church and not just one person. Today is not about me, it's about us. So my first Sunday was Pentecost, 2003. A little later that year, there was a formal service of installation and celebration of mutual ministry with uh, Bishop Swing, who was our bishop at the time. And uh, in preparing to come back, I pulled out that service and read through it. And this is part of what the bishop says, it, the installation of a rector and celebration of mutual ministry. The bishop says, I remind you that in baptism, you are fully empowered and authorized to exercise ministry in Christ's name with mutual affection and respect. Within this parish, the diocese and the wider community, remember that each of you has resources and gifts for ministry. Join your rector in prayer in discerning a vision for this parish and in calling forth the leadership, resources, and talents to carry out that vision. I am succeeding as your rector only to the extent that I am reminding us of this call to ministry and all of us are engaged in what is going on in God's name at St. John's. And part of that is to foster a community of faith where each of us asks that question of ourselves. And I invite you to think about it. What in God's name is going on in your life? It is when you answer that question that we are better able to love our neighbor as ourselves and impact our communities and help transform people's lives. And that truly hydrates our souls when we do that. I spent a lot of time on my sabbatical thinking about what it means to be the church in a faith community today in 2023 and after the pandemic and the way that has so radically shifted our faith communities and our lives and our society. And I had a powerful experience on my sabbatical related to that that I've been thinking about a lot. 
The highlight of my sabbatical was uh, a pilgrimage I did with my clergy group. So there are nine of us, and this is our 20th anniversary as a group. We've been meeting for 20 years. It's now seven priests and two bishops. Used to be just nine priests. So as a clergy group, we did a pilgrimage in England, and we walked the Hadrian's Wall Path, 84 miles from the west coast to the east coast along the Hadrian's Wall that was built by the Romans in like the second century. It's stunning. So in six days we walked 84 miles and my blisters had blisters. <laughs> uh, and parts of it were really rough. Um, and it was great and you know nine of us we, we normally only gather for three days so suddenly you know, we started in Edinburgh and then went, did the walk. Like, it was great trying to figure out how to be community in a new way together. So we walked the Hadrian's Wall, and then at the end, uh, the last day you walk into Newcastle, through Newcastle to a place called Wall's End. Wall's End, right? And then we went up to Lindisfarne, which I've always wanted to go to. It's called the Holy Island. It is a tidal island, so there's a road out there that you can only get to when the tide is low. Otherwise, the road is covered with water and you cannot get to the island. They don't run ferries or anything. And it is where, around 6.30, St. Aidan, after whom my son is named, went from Iona, the monastery in Iona, to Lindisfarne and founded a monastery there. And later, later St. Cuthbert. It was so beautiful to visit that place. And there's this spot where they think the original church that St. Aidan built was. It's really powerful to visit that. So on our walk along Hadrian's Wall, we would, every night we would stay in these little villages that are along the way in these B&Bs. And one morning we're all having breakfast, our what was this one? I think it was the, there's all, there, you know, there's the full Scottish, the full Northumbrian, all these different variations of the same breakfast, uh, which are all awesome and really bad for you, but delicious. <laughs> so we're all having our full Northumbrians, and uh, there's a guy seated by himself, late 60s, at the table across from us. He finishes eating, and he gets up, and he says, are you gentlemen walking the wall? And we're like, yeah, we're walking the wall. You know, we're day three or four, whatever it was. And um, he's like, oh, that's wonderful. And, and we said, are you walking the wall? And he said, no, I'm getting married today. Oh. And someone in the group quipped, well, we have seven priests and two bishops here. <laughs> <laughs> so if you need any help. <laughs> and he said... I am a man of no religion. Now, I have to tell you, everywhere we went in England, when people found out we were clergy, 95% of the time they would say, I'm not religious. <laughs> so I was like, wow, it's like being back in Marin. This is <laughs> it's great. Like, everyone's religious but not spir or spiritual but not religious. So. Um, I used to joke about that, you know, like, 
The, the reason that a lot of people are, are, say they're spiritual but not religious is because they've spent around, a lot of time around people who are religious but not spiritual. <laughs> it's part of our task, right? Anyway, so he says, I am a man of no religion. But my soon-to-be wife is a believer. And he started to choke up like I'm doing right now. And he, he kind of teared up. And he actually couldn't speak for a few minutes. And then he said, but it would mean so much if you could bless her up on the wall. I am a man of no religion, but could you bless my wife? And we said, well, actually, um, we're going to pray for both of you. Because <laughs> that's kind of how marriage works. But So that day was the most famous segment of the wall. You start in a place called uh, Steel Rigs. And you walk for ways, and you come to a spot called Sycamore Gap. And you're walking, you do this very steep ascent, you walk along the rolling wall, and then there's a very steep descent into an area that's, you know, maybe 40, 50 feet wide before it, another steep ascent. And right in the middle of the low spot is a beautiful, huge sycamore tree. It is now often called the Robin Hood tree because it is featured prominently in the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner. <laughs> There's a whole scene with he and I think Morgan Freeman are like, if you've seen the movie or you watch it, that's where we were. And we stood under that sycamore tree and we prayed. And it was beautiful. And then, of course, we got our photo taken in front of the sycamore <laughs> tree. We are increasingly in a world full of people who claim no religion. And like the tongues, resting, tongues of fire resting on the disciples at Pentecost, we must speak in a language that people understand. That's the beauty of Pentecost. Everyone heard the word proclaimed in their native tongue. Religion is increasingly not native tongue. We can't expect people to learn our language. How do we speak in their language? What I learned from that man was that whether you're religious or not you want to be blessed you want to be loved you want to be respected you want your dignity honored and you want to try to offer those things as well but people don't necessarily know how but we know how I think if we're really doing what we should be doing in God's name at St. John's, we're learning that language so that we can be that blessing to people. People who want it, but they're not sure how to get it. 
We can help them find it. We can offer it. And I don't mean like converting them. I mean just sharing the fire, right? There's a, one of my favorite quotes of all time says, tradition is the preservation of fire, not the worship of ashes. Tradition is the preservation of fire, not the worship of ashes. We are the keepers of the flame. That is what our calling is. And as we heard in Acts, may our young see visions. May our elders dream dreams. And together may we continue to be prophets of God's love in this house of prayer for all people.